0: Welcome to episode four of Artful Albany, Saubana, an escape to nature where peace awaits. The Capitol Walls podcast is brought to you by Albany Center Gallery, Discover Albany, and the Downtown Albany Business Improvement District. The podcast is a guided walking tour intended to celebrate the art, history, and culture that is unique to New York's capital city. During each episode, we will focus on a section of downtown Albany. We will regale you with historic stories, highlight dynamic public art, and hear from some of the artists behind Capitol Walls. We won't have time to stop at every mural, but you are encouraged to pause the podcast or make time on your own to experience the Capitol Walls for yourself. While it isn't necessary to listen to the podcast in order, we will make references to certain historical events or figures who appear in previous episodes. Episode four will begin on the corner of State Street and Eagle Street in front of the Renaissance Hotel. We will cross State Street to Albany City Hall. After a chat about City Hall, we'll walk down Pine Street and take a left on Chapel Street. From there, we'll stroll down Steuben Street to North Pearl Street we will follow North Pearl Street down to Columbia and end on Broadway. You are currently standing across the street from New York State's Capitol Building. The Capitol Building is an architectural marvel and the story of its construction is as dynamic as our state's history. Albany was declared the permanent capital of New York in 1797. In 1804, architect Philip Hooker, a name we've become familiar with, designed a capitol building that was just about on the front lawn of the current capitol building. It didn't take long for our expanding legislature to outgrow that building. It was time for a bigger capital. A contest was held, calling for proposals to design a capitol unlike any other capitol building in the country. The winner was Canadian architect Thomas Fuller, whose most famous building is the Canadian Parliament in Ontario. Fuller proposed a grand Italian Renaissance-style Capitol building that would take four years and $4 million to complete. Construction began in 1867. Approximately 10 years and $10 million later, they were only able to complete the foundation and the outside walls of the first floor. In Fuller's defense, it wasn't all his fault. The soil on top of State Street is clay-like. It's difficult to create a secure foundation. Also, remember, it's 1867 and we're dealing with 1867 technology. The construction for the materials would have been sent by boat traveling the Hudson River, which is located just beyond State Street Hill. There were no cars, let alone dump trucks to transport the materials from the bottom of the hill to the construction site. Workses would have painstakingly pulled the materials up from the river to the top of the hill. It was a laborious process. While these early delays appear to be justified, alas, Thomas Fuller was fired. Eventually, two new architects were hired, H.H. Richardson and Leopold Eidelitz. Leopold Eidelitz is America's first Jewish architect and favored a Moorish and Gothic styling. Richardson popularized his own unique American style, which we now call Richardson Romanesque. Frederick Law Olmsted, known for Central Park in New York City, was commissioned to design the grounds. But before construction was completed, Richardson died and Eidlitz quit the project. In 1883, Governor Grover Cleveland hired another architect, Isaac Perry, to finish the project. A project that was originally meant to take 10 years and $10 million to complete, ended up turning into 32 years And $25 million. If you try to buy this capital today, it would be over a billion dollars more expensive than the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and it's still not finished. At the end of his term in 1897, Governor Black, disgusted with the amount of state time and money that had been invested in the building, cut the construction funding. Incoming Governor Teddy Roosevelt declared the building Complete. When you take a tour of the Capitol building, you will see incomplete decorative stone carvings where carvers were told to lay down their tools and move on to more practical projects. A building that was originally proposed to be solidly one style now had the fingerprints of not just one, but four architects, each with their own perspective. It's often called the battle of the styles, perplexing architectural purists, but somehow it works and the individual choices blend harmoniously. The stone carvers were also given unprecedented creative freedom. Hundreds of faces of the carvers unnamed friends and family are hidden inside and outside of the building. There are also incredible murals throughout the building and two public art galleries. The Hall of Governors features original portraits of previous governors and the Hall of New York is a collection of landscapes and cityscapes highlighting the diversity and beauty of the state. The Capitol is also part of the Empire State Plaza Complex. The Empire State Plaza Art Collection features 92 paintings, sculptures, and tapestries both inside and outside of the complex. Director of the Museum of Modern Art, Glenn Lowry, has called the compilation, quote, the most important state collection of modern art in the country. The Robert Abrams Justice Building, included in the plaza complex, houses the Vietnam Memorial and Gallery, which features rotating exhibits. Can you believe how much public art is available for viewing in downtown Albany? To learn more about guided tours of the Capitol, the Empire State Plaza Art Collection, and the Vietnam Memorial and Gallery, visit www.empirestateplaza.ny.org. Turn right and cross State Street until you reach the opposite corner of Eagle and State Street. This intersection is tricky. Once you've reached the opposite corner of State and Eagle, continue walking on Eagle until you're in front of City Hall and behind the statue of General Philip Schuyler. If you haven't reached the corner yet, pause the podcast until you're there. You made it. Continue walking toward Albany City Hall. It's the castle-like building just ahead with the tall clock tower. Before reaching City Hall, you will have to cross a cobblestone street named Corning Place. Corning Place is named for Mayor Erastus Corning, who was mayor of the city of Albany from 1942 to 1983. That's 42 years. Corning has the privilege of being known as the longest serving mayor of a major city in the United States. As you cross Corning Place, Take a quick peek down to the street to your right. You will see a large granite building facing the backside of St. Peter's Church. That building is the Albany Masonic Temple. A Masonic Temple has stood at that location since its founding in 1766. This building opened up in 1896. You should now be standing in front of Albany City Hall. In 1880, the original structure that stood here was a Greek Revival-styled city hall designed once again by Albany's Philip Hooker. But an evening fire ravaged the building, necessitating the need for a new building. It just so happened that H.H. Richardson was already employed across the street at the Capitol building and was able to provide designs for a new city hall. The new building opened in 1883. You will see similarities between the two government building styles, including creative carvings of creatures and animals hidden throughout the exterior. The clock tower includes one of only 116 carillon concert set bells in the country. An unusual musical instrument, a carillon is a set of large bells played by an automatic mechanism or, as in City Hall's case, by a musician using a keyboard. It's unusual to see carillon bells in a municipal building, and in fact, when they were first played in 1927, it was the first municipal carillon in the United States. Normally, you find them in churches. How did they come to be included in City Hall? After World War I, the people of Albany were still in mourning for the local soldiers who gave their lives in service to the country. In 1926, William Gorham Rice, a government official and carillon expert, suggested the carillon for City Hall to honor the fallen soldiers. He looked to the citizens to raise the money. In an early example of crowdfunding, over 25,000 people collectively raised $45,000 for the carillon. During Albany's 1986 tricentennial celebration, the carillon was restored and enlarged to include 29 bells that range in size from 27 pounds to as large as 11,200 pounds. At lunchtime, the bells are played by local and visiting musicians known as caroliners turn around and face the back of the bronze statue of General Philip Schuyler. Philip Schuyler is a born and bred Albany man, not only a renowned Revolutionary War General, but also a Federalist State Senator and a political influencer. Much of his legacy has recently been overshadowed by his famous son-in-law, Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton. The statue is a later addition to the City Hall exterior. It was gifted to the city in 1925 by George Howley of Albany in memory of his wife, Theodora Howley, who was a Revolutionary War enthusiast. This statue was paid for by beer. George and his father-in-law, Theodore Amsdell, ran the Dobler Brewing Company. A time capsule is encased at the base of the statue, including artifacts that were contemporary to 1925 Albany. In 2020, Albany's Philip Schuyler statue was thrust front and center in the growing national conversations surrounding the statue choices of American heroes we choose to elevate versus those whose stories have been overlooked. As we mentioned in episode two, not only was slavery commonplace in New York State, but it was an integral part of the local colonial culture. Though George Howley's intentions appear to be pure and motivated by love for his wife, What does it mean to the average citizen to see a man who owned and profited off the unpaid labor of African-Americans, and he's standing between our local government and our state government? The city of Albany declared the statue should be safely removed and relocated to a location more appropriate, where the full scope of Philip Schuyler's life and career can be properly interpreted. There's talk of another monument or a piece of artwork that could be a more inclusive symbol for our city. Given the choice, what would you create to stand in front of City Hall? If you're interested in learning more about the Schuyler family, their servants, and those they enslaved, their home still stands in Albany's South End and is open for tours. The Schuyler Mansion is a mere seven-minute drive from where you're standing. Visit www.friendsofschuylermansion.org for more information about the mansion. Continue to walk on Eagle Street and stop at the corner of Eagle and Pine Street. Across the street is Academy Park. Academy Park is named for the building at its center, the old Albany Academy School for Boys. It dates to 1817 and was designed by our friend, Philip Hooker. Eventually, Albany graduate and another name familiar to listeners, Marcus T. Reynolds, was hired to do some renovations to the interior of the building. The original weather vane to this building is on view inside the Old English Pub at the Quackenbush House. Remember that building from Episode 1? A famous attendee of Albany Academy includes author Herman Melville. Albany Academy moved to their current location in the 1930s. The building is now occupied by the Albany City School District. Depending on the season, you may or may not be able to look through the trees in the park to see a statue in front of the original Albany Academy building. The statue is of Academy graduate and science teacher, Joseph Henry. In 1826, while teaching at Albany Academy, Joseph Henry would conduct experiments in the building with magnets. He discovered magnetic induction, paving the way for inventions like the telegraph, the electric motor, and the electric doorbell. A unit of conduction called the Henry is named for him. There's a historic marker in the park that reads, the birthplace of modern electricity. Directly across from you in the park, you will see a statue of a man relaxing on a stone bench. Meet philanthropist, Lewis Swire. Swire owned a construction company and sat on various local charitable and cultural boards. Swire was a champion for the arts and saw to the creation of the Saratoga Performing Arts Center. One of the theaters in Albany's iconic Egg Performing Arts building is named for him. Turn around and look to the white Greek Revival building to your left. You're looking at the New York State Court of Appeals building, the highest court in New York State. Fellow New Yorker Henry Rector designed the 1842 building. Next door to the Court of Appeals is the Albany County Courthouse, which opened in 1916. Let's start making our way down the hill. Pine Street to the opposite corner of Eagle Street, then begin walking down Pine Street. You will be approaching St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church. Look at the top of the bell tower to see the angel Gabriel triumphantly blowing his trumpet. The parish dates to 1796, making St. Mary's Albany's oldest Catholic Church and the second oldest in the United States. In 1825, during one of his American tours, General Lafayette stopped in Albany and attended Mass in the first St. Mary's. The current building you're approaching is the third, but all three buildings have called this stretch of Pine Street home. This incarnation of St. Mary's was opened in 1869. Almost 30 years later, the new church installed brand new indoor electric lights. At this time, the only other public building in the city with electricity was the New York State Capitol building, by illuminating the interior of the building, the beautiful and intricate artistry was revealed, including Italian frescoes and a breathtaking trompe ceiling. When you reach the corner of Pine and Lodge Street, stop and look to your right and say hello to one of our podcast partners, the Downtown Business Improvement District. The bid works on behalf of owners and merchants to create a downtown community enticing for visitors and residents alike. They not only organize engaging events and marketing campaigns, but maintain flower baskets and other beautification efforts, coordinate their dedicated clean team, and advocate with city, state, and county officials on behalf of business owners. Thank you, Downtown Bid. Further down on Lodge Street, to the corner of Corning Place, is the Banquet Hall entrance to the Masonic Temple. Governor Franklin D. Roosevelt was a member of the Albany Lodge, and it is said that the metal ramp leading into the banquet hall was constructed for his use. Continue walking down Pine Street and cross the street so you're standing on Pine and Chapel Street. From there, take a left on Chapel and stop when you're standing at the top of Stuben Street. You'll know Stuben because it's a cobblestone pedestrian walkway. walking down Steuben Street. Steuben is named for Baron von Steuben, Inspector General and Major General of the Continental Army in the American Revolution. As you walk down the cobblestone path, look to your right and see the recently renovated Steuben Place Apartments. Constructed in the 19th century, the apartment building features 29 studio and one- and two-bedroom apartments with luxury appointments, original details, and fantastic views of downtown Albany skyline and architecture. Approaching on your left, you will see the former Steuben Athletic Club. The former Steuben Club is part of the building that starts on Steuben and faces North Pearl Street up ahead. Albany architects Fuller and Wheeler were inspired by Richardson's Romanesque style when designing the building. It opened in 1887 as Albany's first YMCA and included one of the country's first indoor swimming pools. Fuller and Wheeler would later become the national design experts for YMCA buildings. In the early 1890s, the YMCA team from Springfield, Massachusetts played their first away game of the newly invented game of basketball at the Albany YMCA. It is likely the first time basketball was played outside of Springfield, Massachusetts. You should now be standing on the corner of North Pearl Street and Stebend Street, using the crosswalk. Carefully cross to the other side until you're standing in front of Pearl Street Pub. By the end of the 19th century and well into the 20th century, North Pearl Street was Albany's premier shopping district for large department stores. Names like Whitney's, Myers, and Flaws were household names for Albany residents. The Pearl Street Pub was once F.W Woolworths, a five and 10 store. However, in the late 1960s and into the 1970s, the popularity of retail shopping in downtown was falling out of favor. Attention was being turned to the suburbs and indoor shopping malls. Since then, Albany's downtown has reinvented itself. Not only is it a destination for retail shopping, featuring shops like Fort Orange General Store on Broadway and North Pearl's Bee Lodging Company, but there is a plethora of restaurants throughout downtown that would satisfy even the pickiest of eaters. Keep an eye out for restaurant week in the spring, where downtown restaurants offer special menus at a reduced rate. Most of the time, we encourage you to look up to catch all the beautiful architectural details often missed when we aren't paying attention. North Pearl Street will be no exception, except this one time. Look down toward the street and see if you can spot the historic plaque on the sidewalk. The plaque marks Pearl Street Pub as the former home of Governor DeWitt Clinton. The current governor's mansion is on Eagle Street and has been operational as the governor's residence since 1875 when the state purchased the building. Before its purchase, the state had to rent a different residence for each incoming governor. Begin walking right on North Pearl Street toward Columbia Street and stop when you reach Columbia Street. You'll be walking towards the sign that reads Lodges. As you walk, Look to your left to see the development of the apartments over the old YMCA building and the former Steuben Athletic Club. On this same block, you will be approaching the entrance to the old Kenmore Hotel. In episode three, we mentioned a man by the name of Adam Blake Sr. Blake Sr. was enslaved by the last Patroon, Steven Van Rensselaer III. Blake Sr. was known for his warm demeanor and remarkable style. Then Rensselaer saw Blake Sr. as a trusted servant, and an elder Blake would brag that he, quote, brought up all the children of the Patroon, and he, quote, dangled them upon his knee. He was granted his freedom in 1811 and found employment with political elite like DeWitt Clinton. He was a respected member of the Albany community and an active member of the Dutch Reformed Church. Adam Blake Sr. adopted a son, who he also named Adam Blake. Adam Blake Jr. inherited his father's flair for charm and style. As a young man, he worked at the Delavan Hotel on Broadway, which we'll be revisiting later in this episode. He took naturally to the art of hospitality and quickly rose to the ranks of head waiter. Blake earned enough to begin operating his own downtown restaurants and hotels, and his establishments quickly became some of the most desirable locations for the upper crust of Albany. Blake would hire African American men and train them in professional skills that would lead to future employment in other high-class establishments. Adam Blake opened the Kenmore in 1878. The Kenmore was judged, quote, "the most elegant structure on the finest street in Albany." When Blake died in 1881, he was the wealthiest African American in Albany and clearly one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the city. Upon his death. He was remembered as, quote, the man who never turned away a stranger or a neighbor in need. Starting in the 1920s, the Kenmore Hotel was operated by Bob Murphy. Under Murphy's tenure, the hotel and the newly formed Rainbow Room Nightclub was an attraction for flappers, bootleggers, and traveling musicians. Reportedly, talent like Frank Sinatra, Duke Ellington, and Sophie Turner made appearances at the nightclub. The most infamous patron was local gangster Jack Legs Diamond, who famously spent his last night partying at the club before meeting his mysterious violent demise at 67 Dove Street Uptown. The Rainbow Room closed in 1947, and the hotel closed in the 1970s. Over time, the hotel had been repurposed and reimagined multiple times as office and retail space. But, in 2017, Redburn Development acquired the building and completely reimagined the space while also paying homage to its history. Much of the space has been converted into apartments for rent, and in the heart of the building, the Rainbow Room has been restored to a private venue operated by Katie O's Weddings and Events. Across the street from the Kenmore, where you're currently standing, is B Lodge and Company, known to locals as simply Lodges. The Lodge & Company opened in 1867, making it Albany's oldest retail shop. Lodges has been an intrinsic part of the downtown retail scene, and it has been located on this corner since 1952. The Onley family has operated Lodges since 1995. While still loyal to Lodges' historic roots, they continue to look ahead to keep the store relevant in an ever-changing downtown. The family recognized the potential of downtown as both a vibrant shopping district and thriving urban neighborhood. But you can't have a neighborhood without residents. The Yonelis were some of the first to convert the upper floors of their business into rentable residential spaces. Today, many downtown businesses have rentable space on the upper floors and further development like the Kenmore and the Steuben Place Apartments continue to bring new residents to the neighborhood. Cross Columbia Street until you find yourself in front of the hollow restaurant. Then, begin walking down Columbia Street. As you walk down Columbia Street, you will be approaching our first capital wall for this episode, Saubana by Boogie Rez. Continue to walk down Columbia until you reach the entrance of the private parking lot on your left. The Brooklyn-based duo, Boogie Rez, is comprised of multifaceted artists Risa Boogie and Rezones. Listen as the duo discusses their Capitol Walls mural and their collaboration with Albany Center Gallery and its director, Tony Adiasico.
1: Hi, how are you guys? This is Boogie Res.
2: Boogie Rez, I don't know what to do with my
1: hands. <laughs> Ooh, thank you for having us. Um, yeah, so we were very honored to be given the space and the opportunity to be able to create Bona. Saubona! Bona! uh with albany center gallery and albany barn and all the incredible people that was involved in the project yes um tony actually gave us a holler during summer i want to say i'm sorry i'm so off on my times but um yeah we were in our studio at world trade and he gave us a holler through instagram and he's like are you interested in a mural i'm like Yes. (laughs) like, yes. <laughs> so it was just that magical moment. And I didn't realize it was, it was amazing that he's like, I've been following your work. And I'm like, wow, thank you so much. And, oh it's, my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it's like the whole incredible part of, you know, someone believing in you and then giving you that opportunity to just grow and get better and share this amazing creative moments with everybody to grow together, <laughs> to inspire each other, to impact <laughs> each other. And basically that was the whole idea of um, um, He actually saw another piece that we had done, more, more of an illustration piece mm-hmm. that it was called, Each One Teach One and Hopes to Reach One. And it has much of a meaning like, you know, we need each other. We need our support of each other to grow together and better ourselves for our future. And he reached out looking at that visual and we were kind of talking through from that piece. But then when he sent me the image of where the space would be, I had a, like another idea. And there was an idea that was I was inspired through other artists as I'm always, that's how I pretty much kind of create my pieces through everybody else, through everybody's energy, their passion. And Saubona kind of grew from it. And then, um, so basically saubona means, well, it's more than a greeting. It's a greeting in Dulu, but more than a greeting. It's as people, we're greater together. or as humans, we are greater together. I... Respect you, I acknowledge you, and I value you is meaning of Saubona. And I hope I'm pronouncing it properly or correctly. But yeah, so basically the energy was just really mutual. And the sabona basically kind of was kind of also presented in a way how he, um, Tony saw us. Like it was that the whole moment was whole Saubona. Like he saw us, he believed in us, and he valued us. And that energy went into the artwork. At, on the wall, I mean, it was very magical. Like it was really epic, being able to be on that wall. And again, we kind of we went with a different direction of how we different approach approach. Thank you. Some of the pieces that we have done previously, the larger walls, we projected it, but this one we we did the whole gridding, and then we did yeah, we just used a grid system, so it was very came out pretty good. For yeah, time it was amazing. And again, because Tony. Believed in us and gave us the confidence to be able to do it. Yes, it took a little longer to go about with the whole greeting, but it just it was more pleasing, just being able to show people like the, the possibility of what we are capable of doing if we allow ourselves to, and having others believe in us.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, so it was definitely a moment of growth, and wow, so I'm getting a little cheery thinking about it. Um. But yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, you know, the whole project really gave us that strength and courage uh, along like, wow, what we truly love to do, we can do it. And we, as we do any kind of project, we always are hoping to inspire impact and empower others through what their strength, what they want to do, you know, and it's it's great to be able to have that feeling the knowing of what you truly love to do you put it out and share it it you also give the opportunity and the possibility to others and they grow with you
2: you know you know what's funny is because the the first one he wanted was the each one teach one yeah it hopes to reach one but that's that he got that through action you know Mm -hmm. like you you put the project out um there was a lot of first on that project. So it's like uh showing yourself that you could do it, which in turn shows gives other people the strength to believe that they could do something, mm-hmm. you know. So it was it's still it's, it was still the energy of each one to each one in hopes to reach one.
1: Yeah. And then and then being there, like the people who in the community like their strive to getting their business going and and together to keep growing through this crazy times Mm -hmm. and then like learning so much of each other like and also I think it's just like just being able to really kind of pull back and think like what we are able to do together as a whole to go forward you know like we definitely no, we need each other to keep going forward we need each other's support. and then again, the mirror was very possible because of everybody's support there and everybody's their the energy the energy, though. yeah. and then just being able to kind of show the process, and I think that's a great part too, being able to have everybody pretty much involved, you know people walking by, people driving by, like because of them that became about. Like, everybody's energy is in that mural. Yeah. And then, yeah, sorry, I'm just getting a little teary thinking about it. Because, again, it's just, like, when when we actually got to the wall, we're like, whoa, this is tall. (laughs) But then we knew that we were able to do it. We were just, like, so excited. But because of everybody else really supporting us, it just made it so much more better and possible and so much more epic and exciting and so well-worth. You know? So, and being able to have that visual language, the communication through visual, through art. And then, yeah, it's-
2: Visual language.
1: Yeah, visual language. It's a universal connection, you know, art in any form. And then, so it's just like, it's it's, it's grateful and so blessed to have people, like supporting us through so many years and giving us the opportunity and like really believing in us giving us the opportunity yeah. and then giving us a platform to hear us to, um share our our venture and yeah
2: yeah at the end of the day man we're we're more the same than we are different you know and being having a way to to um to project that commonality is what's really dope with the art you know color texture space all of those things they, they affect everybody you know so it's it's really dope to be able to bring bring i bring an idea to life and have other people have it impact other people the way it impacts you you know that's kind of almost amplify like a giant megaphone like amplifying your feelings out and having people receive and absorb those feelings and reflect them back is really dope
1: and i guess kind of talking about the artwork itself um like there's a lot of textile vibe to it very organic like i i really truly believe the growth of earth is so i mean it's around us you know and like i i love the way nature just kind of grow and then the free form that they are they they always Go towards the sun, you know, always going forward, and also like forward and upward. Yeah, forward and upward. And then with me, with the whole textile, like I'm always like the organic textile from like the Japanese to the African textile, like very into. Yeah, I love my West African dance, and then the drumming and the joyous that I get from being able to listen to the drum and take dance classes. Like, I'm. I guess, in a sense, like, kind of projecting that, like, move your body, listen, do what you love to do. Like, listen to your body, listen to your gut, and go go at it. Go at it. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, like, I guess it's just like, don't overthink. If it feels good, go forward and just do explore. Do it. You know, and that's also basically kind of the energy that I was putting through that mural. And also, like, culture like textile also reflects on different cultures and some elements that I drew, like in in my way, for my, the hand is basically the curiosity and the strength of hands, strength of people togetherness and what we as a human are capable of doing without technology, you know? And I think it's just like that, a sense of feeling like we're almost like losing that connection and touch. So that's basically the pattern that is on a section of the mural, and actually, a gentleman came over and had asked if it was the what was it again
2: oh the mandala
1: Mhm, but it's interesting because there's that connection again, it's like we are very similar in so many ways, you know, so it's it's so fun to have people come over and expressing their ideas and thought and their connection through the mural
2: it's also. Still seeing people, seeing people's interpretation of yeah. it and, and seeing, I'm seeing how that interpretation changes as they see it develop. Yeah. You know, they look at it and it they, they see one thing and then as it develops, they start to see it. It's kind of like a, um like a Polaroid picture, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like you, you develop it and, and slowly all of all of the pieces come together and yeah. then you see the whole picture. It was, it was really dope to watch that kind of in real time. Like the people... Who came there all the time? Mm. The the construction workers, the dude um, at the uh, at Miranda's, mm, you yeah. know, and the the people in the barber shop, the people who were pretty much there every day watching it develop, you know, is interesting seeing their faces and seeing their reactions change as the thing developed as it as it came to life. That's always a really interesting thing yeah. to see.
1: Yeah, definitely, it's so great to be able to share the process the whole thing from beginning to the end with everybody but yeah our thing is just you get a tingle go with your gut feeling guts and just make that happen or just go and explore you just never know where it goes I mean I used to be so afraid of like oh my god but what if I don't know that end process I mean we never know the end process we shouldn't the beauty of it is because you're able to create it in your own world in own ways and make it possible for you like it's they're the process is the amazing part, you know. It's the challenge. It's ripping your hair out sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Me with my eczema, it's in my arms or my face. But, like, it's it's the, the fun challenge and the struggle is always a great growth, you know, to better ourselves. And, yeah, it's always exciting.
2: Infinity is. So
1: keep rocking it. Do it.
2: Do it.
1: Go at it.
0: Have fun. Live, really live. Thank you, Boogie Rez. To learn more about Boogie Rez's work, visit www.boogierez.com. Continue walking down Columbia Street until you reach the corner of Columbia and Broadway. This park might look familiar. You've now returned to Tricentennial Park. We were here way back in episode two. As you walk, We'll talk more about the former Delavan Hotel, one of the places where Adam Blake began his professional career. In episode two, we discussed the large building to your right on Broadway that overlooks Tricentennial Park. It was the old Union train station. But before it was the train station, the Delavan Hotel was located in the same footprint you see for the train station. The Delavan Hotel was operated by Edward Delavan in 1845. Delavan was incredibly wealthy, having made his money in part by importing wine. Despite the wine being responsible for his comfortable lifestyle, Delavan rejected his former profession and converted to the temperance cause. He became an active and vocal voice in the call for eliminating alcohol, founding the American Temperance Union. So strict was his belief, he called for the eradication of sacramental wine in religious services, a move that agitated even his fellow supporters of the movement. The Delavan Hotel began operation as a strictly temperance hotel, though you can imagine the public support for this decision was cool. Reports of the travelers complying with the restrictions are mixed, to say the least. German immigrant Theophilus Roselle buys the hotel in 1850s, and the family ran the hotel until the 1890s the Delavan Hotel was one of the nation's most respected hotels for nearly 50 years. Like many of the establishments we've highlighted, the Delavan Hotel attracted national notables, including Abraham Lincoln. When he visited Albany in 1861, he stayed at the Delavan, while, coincidentally, John Wilkes Booth was staying about a block down Broadway at the Stanwix Hotel. In the winter of 1894, the legacy of the Delavan Hotel was cut short. A devastating fire ripped through the hotel in the evening. 16 people were lost in the fire, the majority of whom were staff members, at least one of which gave his life alerting patrons to the fire. Pulitzer Prize-winning Albany author William Kennedy features the Delavine Hotel fire in his novel, The Flaming Corsage. Turn left on Broadway and stop when you reach the parking lot on your left. We're on our way to our last stop on the walk take note of the building on the corner of Broadway and Columbia Street. This building dates to 1900 and was designed by Marcus D. Reynolds. It's the former United Traction Company, which operated the streetcar system in Albany. Today, it's used as commercial office space. Here it is, our final capital Wall for this episode. This is Escape to Nature, Where Peace Awaits by Jade Warwick, who works under the name Trash Kid Art.
3: Hello, I am Jade Warwick, creator of one of the, I guess, second biggest murals in downtown Albany. Um, you'll see this mural on Broadway. The background to this mural is my love for nature. Uh, in this mural, you'll see a main figure, which is representing a Black woman. Age? Don't know. Whatever age you see. Some people see say they see themselves when they were younger maybe it represents the uh juvenile like fun feeling free feeling you had when you were a kid just running in the forest some say that this represents them now to this day just going out and exploring in nature and just relaxing and avoiding the city and just trying to take that true step away and try to find that tranquility so on this mural you'll see The main figure, a woman of color, surrounded by my favorite flowers, which are sunflowers, with a butterfly slightly resting on her hand, with a purple haze in the background, with a city faded out in gray. My uh, inspiration for this mural was mostly the political climate right now. I found that being an activist and being so involved in the community became a little bit draining and slightly traumatizing at points just because you really couldn't escape. You know, everywhere you look, there was some person trying to either harass you for wearing a mask or, you know, have all these, um, I guess, Trumpism stances. And again, again, just fighting that got exhausting. And I found nature to be one of those places of tranquility where you could really go out and avoid pretty much where society was kind of at right now in the political climate and just really get in touch with yourself get in touch with yourself get in touch with nature uh maybe revel and things you never really got to think about because you're at that calm point so that's pretty much why i did this mural and it was 60 feet high really really big it took um tony idacico from the albany center gallery the director and i on a lift probably two weeks some in cold, cold weather, some in windy weather, uh, two weeks painting, uh, helping uh, paint this ginormous mural. But I'm very, very, very proud of it. I'm very happy. and I like that the message actually uh, the message actually connects to a lot of people. A lot of people said they felt the same way and how they feel like they should probably go back into nature and realize that you know that's a space that some of us overlook often, whether it's just hiking, uh, going into a park, going into a meadow, and just sitting by a stream for like an hour could be super, super relaxing in ways that you can't even imagine. So, seeing this piece, some people express that you know what? Maybe I should get out and, you know, go out and enjoy those spaces and enjoy that time alone without any technology or anyone around. And just enjoying the naturalness around us. One of my favorite pieces, and one thing that I love to do as an artist, uh, as my artist named Trash Kid, is work with colors. I've always found working with bright, intense colors really fun because I grew up um, being taught a a lot about traditional art. I grew up taking a lot of courses and classes in traditional arts and humanity, which tends to be a little, um, you know, darker, a little darker contrast. It's not as bright, a lot of browns, a lot of natural colors. And growing up, I was like, why stick to those tones? So in my pieces, you'll find a lot of neon, yellows, blues, purples, uh, burgundies, anything that is bright and eye-catching. Another uh, That's actually why I made this piece so bright, because of the area that it's in, it's very gray. It's a downtown area where it's very gray, a lot of brick, uh, a lot of aluminum siding. So I thought this piece would add a nice, bright, pop especially being like over 60 feet high that'll bring a nice bright pop to that area and maybe in the winter maybe it'll, like maybe it'll make people less susceptible to a uh, seasonal depression because we know in the winter it is just going to be white and gray but uh yeah and so I guess that would be about it.
0: Thank you Jade. To learn more about Jade Warwick's art check out her Instagram at Thank you to our artists, Boogie Rez and Jade Warwick. We'd also like to thank our local historians who provided their expertise over the four episodes, Jack McEnany, Craig Gravina, Lavada Nahan, Matt Millette, Matt Ham, and Paul Stewart. And of course, thank you for tuning in to the fourth episode of Artful Albany, Saobana, an escape to nature where peace awaits podcast was made by generous sponsorship of Discover Albany, the Downtown Albany Bid, and Albany Center Gallery. The Capitol Walls are made possible by the Albany Center Gallery, Albany Barn, and the Albany Parking Authority. To see a listing of the Capitol Walls, please visit the Albany Center Gallery's website at www.albanycentergallery.org slash Capitol Walls. Learn more about exciting events in our area by visiting Discover Albany's website, www.albany.org, and the Downtown Bid's website, www.downtownalbany.org. Want to learn more about Albany history? Check out the references we reference when writing this podcast. Diana S. Waite's book, Albany Architecture, A Guide to the City. Jack McEnany's book, Albany, Capital City on the Hudson in Illustrated History, Listen Albany, the Capital City's Cultural Heritage Podcast by the Historic Albany Foundation, the Friends of Albany History blog, Stefan Bolinski's Colonial Albany Social History website, and Discover Albany's Albany, a Walking Tour brochure. Thanks again.